Hi everyone, Raphael Harry here, and you're listening to White Label American, a podcast where we hear stories from an immigrant or two, sometimes more. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of White Label American. Thank you all for joining us today. Before we begin, I would like to say thank you to my Patreons. Um, thank you for supporting us and helping us build community. And shout out to our newest patron who just joined this morning, Kevin. Um, I always call him the prof. He's someone who has always supported me and who believes that I can return back to my writing. I hope to do that one day. Um, for those of us who, uh, for those of you listening who at this time are not able to sign up on Patreon and, and join us, we understand. And we, um, you can still support us by sharing, liking, and subscribing to the podcast. And most importantly, giving us five stars and a positive review on iTunes, especially, and all the podcast platforms wherever you are listening on. So, Today, I have a very, very, very special guest. Yes, all my guests are special. But this person is more special than others because she's family. And when I say family, I mean family, down to family. She's a cousin of mine. She's an entrepreneur. She's a woman of science. And she's great in yoga. I mean, she's so great in yoga that I wish I, I, I could have that dedication to yoga. But I just started finding myself in fitness recently. So um, I, I, I'm building up to yoga. But my uh, my wife and my daughter, they, they, they do the yoga sometimes. So, yeah, so she, I, I think it's already in the family. So we're we, we getting there. We're getting there. I'll join in soon. But um, today's guest, she is one of the smartest women that I know. And she's an all-around awesome person. I just love the energy that she brings to the table. And she's proof that, you know, my family always has fantastic people that, you know, I've, uh, that I just love seeing all the time. So without much further ado, I welcome Tawanda Asamoe. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Thank you. That was such a sweet introduction. Hey, <laughs> I'm you know, doing well. <laughs> you're, you're a sweet person and you deserve all the sweetness in your intros. So, I'm really excited to be here. Oh, thank you. Uh, you know, we're excited to have you too. You know. So, um, unlike most of the guests that we've had on the podcast, you know, they're always born outside the country and then, you know, moving here. Your journey began in like the opposite direction. Yeah. And so, can you introduce us to where you were born and um, your your childhood? Sure. So, I have a lot of a lot of different identities that intersect all inside of me. So my mom is from Zimbabwe and she came to Massachusetts when she was 16 years old. Um, and she went to school out here and went to college. And my dad, <laughs> which is how we're related, yes. is Nigerian. And he came out here, I believe, when he was 19, maybe 20. He was young. Yeah. Um and he came out here for school. 
uh, also, so they met at college. And so they uh, subsequently fell in love, got married and had little old me. So I <laughs> was born in um, Worcester, Massachusetts as a result. Um, I always like to give people this little tidbit. I am the only Tawanda Asamoah in the world. There wow. are a lot of Asamoahs, as you know, we have a yes. very big family. <laughs> there are a lot of Asamoahs, and there are tons of Tawandas. Tawanda is a Zimbabwean name traditionally given to the firstborn oh. son or daughter or child, firstborn child. Um, so it's a gender neutral name. You can oh. meet, yeah, you'll meet Tawandas of various genders if you are on that part of the world. Okay, good to know. But because it's a Zimbabwean first name and a Nigerian last name, I am the only Tawanda Samoa in the world. So the only Tawanda. Wow. I, that makes yeah. you, that's, I knew you were extra special. When you see, when <laughs> that takes it to another level. <laughs> so do uh, you know the meaning of uh, Tawanda? So it means um, kind of like we are whole. So it's kind of, you know, a child is what makes a family. Yes. So it's like it means we're together or we are whole or, you know, that type of thing. That's why it's usually given to the firstborn child. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. And um, what what tribe in Zimbabwe is it from? So Zimbabwe is different than Nigeria in that they're not really broken down into tribes. You know, my mom's okay. from Harare. She speaks Shana. Um, yeah. yeah, but they're not. She doesn't really have a tribe in that, you know, like okay. I would say, oh, we are Ija. We are, you yeah. know, of the Ija people. That's not kind of how it goes down with her. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I thought they would have something similar to like South Africa with Zulus or Kosa. Yeah, not that yeah. I know of or okay. that has ever been shared to me. <laughs> All, right. All right. That's fine. But you, you also have an Ija name too, right? I, I, I do. I forgot it, it but I, I, used, I used to remember that. It's Adesia Bara. So my dad is Adesia. I'm Adesia Bara. Oh, Adesia Bara. I'm probably butchering this. Am yeah. I saying it right? I, I haven't had that name in a long time, so I'm, bitter, I'm, I'm, I'm butchering it too. Cause I'm, I'm like, yeah, but yeah, it's a beautiful name. It's a name that I haven't had in a long, long time. So, cause I, I think my mom used to either mostly call you guys. Um, when she used to tell me about you guys at first, it was by your your names, and mm -hmm. then uh, she she switched to um, your Zimbabwean names later on. And I was, yeah. So I, I had to make that mental switch in my head too. But yeah. Yeah, because my sister has a Zimbabwean name too. Her name's yeah. Tinashe. Tinashe. So. Yeah. Well, I think Tinashe is a lot more common over here. Now it is. Because, yeah. you know, they have that uh, celebrity, the singer, Tinashe. Mm -hmm. Because I, I don't think people realize how that, that name is Zimbabwean. Because mm -hmm. at first, when I, when I heard it, I was like, ah, oh, is that Zimbabwean? And then I started seeing other people with the name, I was like, oh, well, it might be an American name. <laughs> <laughs> well, people always think me and Tanache have American names. You know, they're like, oh, it's like an, you know, because there's a lot of Tawanas, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> no, they're both Zimbabwean names. Zendaya, the actress, yeah. that's a Zimbabwean name. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. but, but she doesn't have roots to Zimbabwe. No, her dad is Zimbabwean. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. I'm, I'm, see, I'm learning a lot about Zimbabwe. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So, let me see. I, I, uh, you, you, so you were born in uh, Massachusetts. Yes. And um, by the time I will meet, which was long, well, we met 
first time we met was in Portacourt. And then mm-hmm. the, what I consider the official meeting was in Maryland, which I always associate with you guys. Yeah. So, so it's funny because we were almost New Yorkers <laughs> wow. when I was younger um, and my parents were younger. Um, my dad wanted to move to New York from Massachusetts. Um, and so he went out there, visited one of his friends or a cousin. I can't remember the story quite right. But he goes out there. He's like, oh, you know, I got this young family. I'm going to come out to New York, make some money. So he comes out here. He goes into like a gas station or something. He comes out. His car is completely robbed. <laughs> like They took all of his things. <laughs> so he got the New York special. This is like deep in the 80s, I yeah. think. And so, you know, that's when New York was New York. (laughs) And so so he gets robbed and he's crying and he's so upset. And he was telling, he calls on the payphone, another one of his friends. And he's like, listen, man, you know, don't stay there. Come visit me in DC. Like, I'll help you get back home, you know, so so you'll have some money and you can get back to Massachusetts. Yeah. So uh, he ends up driving to DC from New York and he goes through Maryland and he's like, and this is before Maryland was, you know, developed in suburban. It was kind of country. Mm-hmm. And he's like, this is kind of nice. You know, I can, I can move my family here. And so that's how we became Marylanders <laughs> instead of New Yorkers. Because <laughs> my dad got robbed. <laughs> uh, I have someone who's like a big brother to, to, to myself. And um, he's, he's a, he's a long time family friend. And he he was also born here. Uh, I think yeah, he was born in Brooklyn, and then um, just like Kenneth moved to Nigeria, so he grew up there, and that's how himself and Kenneth became friends. And uh, he was telling me now he lives in Seattle. And he was telling me that oh yeah, when he uh, returned back to the states, he tried to move. Uh, he his first part of call was New York because he was like, oh, I'm back home. And one day on the streets, somebody um, walked up to him and was like, hey, bro. And he was like, oh, hey, brother. And the person was like, I got something for you. And he's like, oh, what do you got? And the person was like, oh, pulled a gun on him and robbed him. And he was like, oh, man. He's like, that's it. I'm not staying on the East Coast anymore. That, that was the experience. And now he's in Seattle. I was like, really? That, that, that's how you moved to Seattle? I was, I was like, I thought this was like late 90s. He was like, yeah, I'm not staying there. He's <laughs> like, okay, I overreacted. But that's how I ended up on, on the West Coast. <laughs> I was like, you went extreme. (laughs) (laughs) He went extreme. He just like, I'm going way across, like, get me as far as possible. (laughs) Just, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, wow, okay. (laughs) Uh, So you ended up in Maryland, and, um, but you started in uh, Massachusetts. So uh, this next question, where does your favorite childhood memory come from? Oh, for sure. It comes from Maryland. Um, I love Maryland. I think it's a great place to have grown up. It is. And I grew up in a community that's always on one of the most diverse list. And so um, like if there's a top 10, my neighborhood and surrounding, you know, towns are always on that list. What neighborhood is that? So I'm from Gaithersburg, Maryland. Um, it's incredibly diverse is not just, you know, racially and ethically, but it's um, diverse with religions. It is diverse socioeconomically. 
Um, the town I grew up in was built by some, uh, by the Kettler brothers. They were developers and they kind of had a vision of, I guess, inclusivity. So they wanted, no matter what your socioeconomic background or like, you know, your race or wherever you came from, that you had access to the same things. And so, you know, they built the town with like the apartments in the center and then the townhouses and then, you know the regular single family homes and then the big houses, you know, kind of on the outside. But what that meant was, is that everybody had the same grocery store. Everybody had the same, um, you know, bank, everybody went to the same schools. So, you know, in my high school, it'd be normal to see kids who were walkers or who were taking the city bus. And it'd also be normal to see kids who had a Benz at like, you know, 16, because it just was a really diverse place to grow up so I love Maryland for that reason but you know the reason why I had so many happy childhood memories is that you know like I said my dad is a Nigerian immigrant but he very much kept us attached to home to Nigeria and so my cousins would always come out you would always come out you know (laughs) um, your brother would always come out we'd have like big Sunday dinners or people would spend the summers with us and you know we would just take like random road trips. And so I always just had a really good time. and felt really connected to my cousins and as a result, you know, Nigeria. Yeah. So you have one particular memory that you like to share? Hmm. I don't Among know. I was favorites. always getting into hygiene as a kid. I'll say my favorite was my first cousins all came from Nigeria for the summer. And my dad basically took us on a road trip through the Northeast. So we drove up to New York and through New Jersey. And then we came back and um, we went to Virginia Beach. Then we went to North Carolina for Myrtle Beach. Then we came to Atlanta um, and saw my Atlanta cousins. And so it was just this epic long, (laughs) I don't even know how many weeks, I don't even know how many weeks we were out there, but it was just this epic long vacation, you know, imagine how many kids at the time, eight, uh, six kids, you know, all cousins and we're just going to different beaches, different cities, you know, going to museums, just having a really, really good time. Um, So I guess that's probably one of my favorites. That's a wild fun right there. But I think that that explains why you you you're about travel and uh, travel, ex- experiencing yeah. new things and places. So yeah, yeah, it's been a part of you for a long time. Yeah, I grew up very middle class, but because you know my parents are immigrants, I had the benefit of traveling outside of the country at a very young age, mm-hmm. and I think that shaped you know, what I enjoy now as an adult, because I love to travel, you know, to different countries, different places, experience different foods, yeah, all of that. Yeah. So was there um, any struggle with trying to identify with one side over the other, Nigerian over Zimbabwean per se? No, because like I said, because I grew up in such a diverse community, so I have cousins in other parts of America who are first-gen Americans, and they have, I guess, that conflict you're talking about, about identity, about like, oh, am I Black American or am I Nigerian American or, you know, kind of where they see their place in this country. Um, 
And honestly, that was never an issue for me because I mean, there were just, it was just so diverse. So I knew Persian Americans or, or Afghanistan Americans. And I knew, you know, Iranian Americans and I knew Jewish Americans that just, there were so many different kinds of people. And because of that, I never felt othered for having mm. African immigrant parents. Yeah. So you would go to, you know, you invite somebody over for dinner, you go to maybe an American household, they're going to have, uh, I don't, what do Americans eat for dinner? Like macaroni and cheese, mm-hmm. some chicken, some green beans, which is delicious. Don't get me wrong. I yeah. love all those things. And, but if you come to my house, that's not what you're going to, if you come to my house for dinner, that's not what you're going to have. You're going to have rice and stew yeah. or maybe foo-foo. <laughs> so it's like, even with those differences in childhood, I never felt othered because I just knew so many ethnically diverse people. And so it was more like culture sharing. Like, Mm. yeah, my parents are African and I'm also, you know, of African descent. And so, but I'm also black American and very much an American and clearly black. I mean, your, your listeners can't see me, but I am clearly black. And so, um, there wasn't really this whole dynamic of choose. Now, with that being said, I do think my parents weaponized my Americanness against me. You know, anytime you talk back or talk up, it's like, you're acting like you're acting very American. You know, what do you do? You don't talk. If I send you to Nigeria, you don't talk like that, you know? Uh, so in that regard, I sometimes felt distinctly American, whereas maybe if you're a black American and your entire family and lineage is from here, yeah. um, you know, you might not feel that same tension, mm. <laughs> but yeah, I never really, I guess, had identity problems in that regard. Yeah. That, that was a big point that you raised though. The, the, the African parents weaponizing the, um, when the kid voices voices an opinion and they're like, oh, you you American, you're, you're talking back, you know, because you're American, yeah. doing that. And I know a few who like take it to the extreme, and I I say extreme because that's how you know I met because I, I did most of my um uh, schooling up to um secondary school or high school in Nigeria, and you got to meet kids whose parents brought them from the States, from the UK and Europe and drop them in Nigeria because the the, the 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 word on the streets was that, oh, this kid was behaving too American or too European and they they, they, need to, they needed to be taught Nigerian manners. You know, they, they, they don't have respect. So we need to, to bring, bring them here. The, 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 family, like the rest of the family, but send them down here. We will put them, we'll find a good school, but they will learn, they will learn. And then that's how they ended up sending them. And then uh, some got lucky, but some got scarred for life. And um, what's his name? The, the musician, um, Seal. There, there's a story that he's also one of those. And that's the reason why he doesn't fuck with Nigeria anymore. Wow. Yeah. That's that, yeah. That's because, you know, when parents do that, they, they take the kid's passport. And so you're literally a prisoner. And but I don't, they don't think about that. They don't see it that way, but it's like a, a whole the 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 emotional heart is deep it's and traumatic, yeah. yeah, it's very traumatic. And 
it's something that a lot of parents do not resolve over their lifetime. And I think BBC Africa had a series on that not long ago, and they had a mother who did that to her child from uh, a mother, a Nigerian mother in the UK, who did that to her daughter. And the daughter today is an entrepreneur. She has, you know, by the Nigerian standards, she's successful because she has a big business. And she was with her mom, and mom was like, you see, if I didn't do it to my daughter, she look, will she own her business today? It worked. And yeah. daughter was like, uh, so they were asking the daughter, what was your experience like? And she was trying to be modest because the mom was sitting down next to her, but she was like, uh, it was traumatic. I mm -hmm. never lived somewhere where um, I was in a school where they made me go fetch water from a well. And it was, I didn't like the food. I wasn't used to this type of food. My mother didn't feed me with food like this. And the teachers were beating me. The the principal was beating me. So, but I, nobody would listen to me when I complained. So, but she was like, well, well I thank God everything, you know, I, I'm here today. And then she just like cut it there. So, you know, there was more, but she just yeah. cut it there because it's like she was reopening the traumatic wounds. And the mom was like, well, you see, I, if I didn't do it, would she, she, because she, she needed to be toughen up. She needed to toughen up. You know, she was, and I was like, wow, uh, yeah, yeah, this, yeah, there's something, because to me, this stuff like that is just going to blow up one day. There's one day it's just going to, the old wounds, the wounds will just reopen and then, you know, so it, it's something that I, I wish parents would recognize. And yeah. sometimes I talk to fellow African immigrants who are parents and like myself and, they start bringing that up, and I'm like, uh, that's not where you should be going because just because we were told we we're pushed on this line, it's not right. But you know, so yeah. But I I, I love that you 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 mentioned that, and uh, it's not right to weaponize uh, the Americanness because no matter what, my daughter is American. I can't say mm -hmm. she's not American. She's American, but at the same time, she's Nigerian. She's German also, and mm -hmm. it's part of who she is. <laughs> I'm not going to take that away from her. <laughs> Yeah. No, I agree. <laughs> yeah. So, um, as part of um, growing up in a diverse community in um, Maryland, Gettysburg, uh, you got to travel a lot within America, but you also got to travel outside of America, right? Yes. And where was the first place that you traveled to that made an impression on you? For sure, Nigeria. I mean, it was a culture shock. Um, and it was a culture shock, uh, I guess, in both ways. So, so I was pretty young. I think I was maybe 11 or 12 the first time I went to Nigeria. Um, and I guess it was the first time I saw such an imbalance in, I guess, wealth. So like I mentioned in Maryland, I grew up pretty middle class. You know, my dad was a provider at a breadwinner and, you know, we were comfortable, you know, not rich, not poor, just regular. And, um, you see a lot of propaganda about Africa on Western media. And so I didn't know what I thought was going to go on when I went to Nigeria. I was like, Oh, are there going to be toilets? Like, do I need to bring, you know, I don't know. Like, I just, I just didn't know. I thought I was going to the bush. And so, <laughs> and so I get there and my uncle is 
very successful. And so that's who we were with when I went to Nigeria. And it was not the bush. It was very luxurious Mm -hmm. and very impressive. And probably like, I remember the first time I went to Abuja, it had been the nicest hotel I had ever stayed in in my life. Like it was beautiful. That, that, that's, that's true. That is, first, first time I went to Abuja, it was the same thing. Nicest Everything hotel was in my life. And new and shiny. And so I very much had that kind of bubble. But when we would go on road trips to, you know, OD or whatever the case may be, or even getting into the airport, because, you know, getting into the Nigerian airport is a whole. It's a whole mission. So um, you'd see kind of, or uh, you know what it was? It was the first time I went to the market. Oh, that's We never had to go grocery store (laughs) shopping. We never had to go grocery store shopping. My my uncle had people to help him do these types of things. So it's like, I never really had to venture outside of his compound. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, if I had spent my entire summer there, I would have just thought like, yes, everybody in Nigeria lives in a beautiful mansion with, you know, people to help. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we went to the market cause we were so interested to see how it goes. And that's when I saw true poverty. And I was like, how can this exist in the same space that this kind of obscene wealth exists? Yeah. And so, and America has it too, right? Like I'm not trying to say that America doesn't have, the working poor or the lower class, but in Nigeria, the middle class is so small, you know, there's, it's literally disappearing now. It's it's disappearing. Yeah. You're either very wealthy or Mm -hmm. you're very, very poor. And so being confronted with that was a culture shock. I was like, why are there children begging or why are there, you know, people without limbs, you know, in the streets and they're begging and they chase and, it's like you want to give them money, but then, you know, your driver or your uncle's like, don't give them money because then they'll follow you home. And it's it's this whole, it's a very surprising and shocking thing, especially when you're young. Yeah. And so I'm probably, um, I probably had the most, it was probably the trip that had the most impact on me mm. um, that I've ever taken. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can understand how that's um, a big culture shock because you know, when, when you grow up with it, you don't really see it as a big deal. And it's kind of like when I arrived here and um, Kenneth took me to uh, D.C. And the first guy comes up to me like, hey, brother, you got you know, can I get a dollar? And I'm like, uh, oh, sorry, I, I, don't, I don't know you. I don't, I, I'm, I'm trying to explain myself. I don't have a dollar. <laughs> I, I didn't understand that I was a homeless person begging me because I just looked at him. Like, well, he got clothes on and, you know, because yeah. I, I was... Still, I was barely a week in America, and I'm activate my mind is going back to what a homeless person in Nigeria looks like, mm-hmm. uh, w- w- what I was expecting to see. So it, it, it didn't match. So I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm, so I'm having a chat and I'm explaining." And like, Kenneth had gone. He and then he looks back and doesn't see me. I was like, "Hey, what are you doing? You know the person?" I was like, "Oh no, he needs he needs a dollar." And I'm explaining to him. Is like, how many of them are you going to explain to today? I was like, well, well, "What do you mean?" Like, you know how many homeless people are here? And I was like, what? Homeless? You mean in the, the capital of America, there's homeless people? And that was like <laughs> the beginning of my culture shock. Yeah. You know? And, but 
You know, I, I, I've said it before on the podcast. I never realized that. I was To me, it felt like there were so many, there were more homeless people in America than in Nigeria. But actually, I'm, I, I take that back because there are actually more in Nigeria. But it's just the way we looked at it because I had gotten used to it. I guess I had climatized to seeing them. So it didn't matter to me because I was one station above them, even though I was close to being homeless at one, certain points in my life. So... I guess it just became normal to me. And they, they don't really come up to you like the American way and beg because some of them have jobs and, you know, and so, but people are still homeless, but we don't see it that way. So you're like, yeah, they're, they're fine. It's just not a problem. There's nothing going on there. There's, you know, they are problems, not mine. So I didn't have to take that into consideration. So you don't, you don't, you don't see, they don't exist. They're invincible. They became invincible to me. You know, mm-hmm. and I just went about my business like, huh, yeah. So, but it has to take others telling me or pointing it out to me. Then I'm like, oh, wow, I was actually blind to something like that in existence being around me. And I was actually walking past them almost all the time. And I'm like, oh, so yeah, there were homeless people. There were people who were like when the markets close, um, that's where they sleep. You know, when all the traders are gone and they, they take over their tables and all that, you know, they, they sleep there. But the other difference, like they make it nice, you know, they, 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 before the trader comes back the next day, otherwise they'll they, they have to hire security to chase them, you know, at nighttime. So there are different uh, dynamics to it, but it was something that I was just blind to being over there and growing up there because I wasn't really affected by it. Mm-hmm. You know, and like the people begging on the streets, we we, we see them, and um, I guess a way of countering that was that we developed the uh, they're not all uh, they're, it's not that bad for them if you can make it to the roads, you can beat traffic, you can be weaving through traffic, and but they needed help. There were people who shouldn't be in that situation, but some of us just came up with that mentality, like uh, look how fast they can move. Like, you know, so it must not be that bad for them. And then somebody will see one person who, uh, it's like the Fox News thing where you go focus on one beggar who, uh, after begging, you, you you follow that person and realize that person has a car. What? That person has a car? I don't even have a car. That person has a car. So that beg, all beggars are fake. They're all fake. And we just focus on one and use that as an example of bashing all of them. But... Yeah, the, the poverty was it was high. It was high, and I, I was living in a face me face you <laughs> apartment for some time, and you know I, I experienced it. And when you ask me, I was like, hell no, hell no, hell no. I was I was I was a bubble. I was a shining bubble. Like man, I was dressing good and all that. Who <laughs> <laughs> who ever admits that they, they lived in poverty? Nobody. <laughs> so. You be like I was like yeah I was middle class man I wasn't middle class man I was poor just 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 ask the girls who were ask who were like oh if you want to take me out buy me shawarma uh, you won't see me again I'm gone because <laughs> I couldn't afford shawarma so <laughs> that was a disqualifier so yeah it's uh it's why I, I always understand and I appreciate when people um, notice that and the, the culture shock it's something that I am I'm, I'm able to relate to now and see how. Um, uh, I, that being that fence that I created as a way of shielding myself, I guess. And some of us just do that to shield ourselves mentally and say we don't want to picture ourselves in that realm of being poor or consider ourselves as poor 
because that's the language we use there. Like, you know, if you say you're poor, you're poor. Or if you say you're, you're rich, you're rich, you know. Then the statistics start to look like, oh, they're not poor people there. I mean, we, a lot of us are poor. A lot of us were poor and, yeah, we just need our help. But we, that, that we need others to come point it out to us like, uh, yeah, we've, we've never seen something like this before in our lives. And that's why a lot of Nigerians were surprised when that statistic came out, uh, was it last, two, no, about three years ago, that Nigeria per capita has the, uh, the largest number of poorest people in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wasn't surprised that we, we overtook India. Well, I wasn't surprised. Yeah. Because for too long, we've been hiding it. We've been hiding mm-hmm. it and we've been denying that something like this exists. But it's just the truth. It's unfortunate, but it's the truth. Mm-hmm. You know? So, it's sad because we're the you know richest African nation you know on the continent, but mm-hmm. <sighs> it's just in a few people's poverty it's, rate. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's in a small circle. <laughs> All the wealth is situated in just a tiny little circle, and 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 if you want further proof that trickle down does not work, you you look at Nigeria because Nigeria is another country that practices trickle down uh, economics. They 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 mm-hmm. preach they preach by it they they stand by it and yeah. It's <laughs> it doesn't work. Uh, but before we go further, we shall take a quick break and we'll be right back with more on Tawanda's um journey. So welcome back. And now we've touched on Nigeria, but you've also been to Southern Africa. I have, yes. What was that experience like? And um, 
But you didn't I go to Zimbabwe, though. So I, I went to Zimbabwe when I was a baby. So, you know, my mom, you know, she had went to America, went to school, got yeah. married, and, and she did that all without her family. You know, her family was still in Zimbabwe at the time. You know, mm-hmm. my mom, my parents didn't have a wedding. They went to Justice of the Peace yeah. um, because they were immigrants. None of their people were here. And so um, when she had me, she was like, okay, I'm going to go back home. And so it's just me and a little baby passport picture. (laughs) And I went to go meet all of my maternal extended family. So I don't have a ton of memories of it because I was, I was only one, (laughs) but, um, but um, it is my goal to go back, even though my younger sister has been back a few times and she said it's kind of hard because, you know, they had that very deep recession. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. So, you know, it would be hard to come by. Like, from my understanding, if you wanted to go to Zimbabwe, you got to stop in South Africa first, mm-hmm. load up your car with resources because things like butter and sugar and tea are hard to come by um or if they they, or if you get them they're very very expensive because of inflation um i don't even think they use the zim dollar anymore yeah yeah they don't it's uh us dollars more um yeah Yeah. so uh so i haven't been to zimbabwe um in a while because like i said every time i've tried to go as an adult they're like uh Maybe not yet, <laughs> but um, a lot of my mother's family has migrated to South Africa. And so I have gone there to visit with them. And I love South Africa. I've been to Joburg and Cape Town. I love Cape Town more. Um, South Africa hasn't treated me that great. I got robbed Uh-oh. my first time. <laughs> I mean, and they robbed us blind. I mean, took all well, of our. Was that, was that in jo- Joburg or Cape Town? That was in Joburg. Okay. On a sun, it was Easter Sunday morning, broad daylight, robbed. <laughs> we were on our way to the airport, and uh, there was a cop in the median, or what looked like a cop. But to this day, I still don't know if it was a real cop. Oh. Wow. But um. He's flagging us down, like, and yeah. I'm telling my cousin who's driving, like, oh, you know, I think he's trying to flag us down. Because I'm American, so mm-hmm. yeah. when flags you down, you pull over because that's the law. Apparently, that's not what you do in Joburg. But she pulled over, and he comes up to the driver's side, and he takes the key out of the ignition. Uh, that, 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 and that's that, when that, I was That's like, Nigerian police style, too. <laughs> I was like, okay. So my cousin's like, hi, officer. Why did you pull me over? And he was like, where are you going that you were speeding like that? And she was like, oh, well, we're going to the airport. And it's four of us. It's me, my mom, my sister, and my cousin, four women. We have our suitcases in the back. My cousin's driving, you know, her father's Benz. Yeah. So we just look like Marks. Oh. Um, so his little partner came around. His partner wasn't in a cop uniform or anything. He just looked disgusting. And he comes to the passenger side. They told us, put all of our phones on the dashboard, emptied out our purses. And my uncle, since we were traveling, my uncle had just given us a lot of cash. Like they took like $3,000 from me. (laughs) Yeah. I was so upset. Um, Cause I was like, you know, (laughs) that's the lesson. Cause it, 
when my uncle gave it to me, he was like, oh, you know, go shopping, go buy yourself something nice. And I was yeah. like, what? I'm not, I'm taking this 3000 Like I said, I've always grown up middle class. I was like, I'm taking this $3,000 home. I got student loans. Like I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm my savings account. Yeah. And so I didn't want to spend it, but I should have spent it because they stole it. Um, and so hey, they robbed is. my mom of her camera, my uh-huh. iPad, just everything, everything, everything. And they said, okay, we're going to get back in the car. We'll throw the keys out the window. Don't even think about moving until we've driven off. And so they threw the keys out the window. They drove off. My cousin had to like jog down the highway to go get the keys. Wow. And since we didn't have any phones, we couldn't call the real police. Yeah. So we get to the airport. We're like, we've been robbed. And, they, and you know, Joburg is kind of, they have a lot of crime. So uh-huh. they were like, well, okay, sorry. Are you going to get on the flight? Or <laughs> so, I just had to like, nobody cared. I just had to get on the plane and go home. Well, at least they, they didn't take your passport though. No. Okay. Well, that's the first thing. When I very first started traveling as a, when I was young, my dad said, never give someone your passport Yeah, because they did try to take it because they said, Oh, we want to see ID. And so, um, I flashed my passport open. I was at first, I didn't flash anything. So I was like, I'm not driving. You don't need to see my ID. Uh-huh. Cause I had a very like American <laughs> thought of what a traffic stop is supposed to be like, like, no, no, no. Let me see your ID. So I flash my passport and he tries to grab it from the window and I held on to it with for dear life. And I was wow. like, just look at it. Cause I, re- I, my dad always drilled that in my head. Yeah. Never give up your passport. Yeah, I agree. That's uh, everyone listening. Yep. Never, <laughs> never give up your passport anywhere you go. Cause there's some passports that are like gold. They're mm-hmm. gold and yep. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I had stories back in Nigeria those days. It's like, ah, someone American or British passport, gone. And there's a part of Lagos. I'm not going to say the name of that area, but, yeah, we, that, that's where the passport turns up at. And yeah, that, that place still exists, funny enough. <laughs> <laughs> ah, but, yeah. <laughs> Ah, but uh, I'm glad you, you you came out of that journey, uh, that experience. Yeah, uh, but I, I still love South Africa, even though you know I, I have to go there. It's um on my list. I have some podcasts that I was on a South African podcast. Um, it's one of my favorite recently, and they are well, most of the guys are in, are in Pape, uh, Cape Town. I mean, and um, it's I have a friend there too, a good friend there, and it's a place that's been on my to visit list. I couldn't go for the World Cup in 2010 because uh, I didn't plan it pro- properly. So in the Navy, uh, I couldn't get leave out of the Navy then. So mm-hmm. it's like one thing I still regret missing out on. But yeah, South Africa is, uh, yeah, I, I, I plan to go. I've, I, I I think I, I know enough about the robbery. It's not like I'm going to go out there and be like, yeah, I can outsmart anybody. No, I'm I'm, I'm just going to go hang out to where, <laughs> where yeah, I feel. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to find a local and hang out with that seat. <laughs> yeah, I think the main thing is just not to underestimate anybody because that's what I did. Because yeah. people told me, oh, jo- Johannesburg has a lot of crime. It's mm-hmm. very, you got to be careful. It's dangerous. And I was like, please, I've been to Nigeria. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what can touch me in Johannesburg? Yeah. Uh, lots of things. Lot of and things. You know, it's because, you know, like I said, my uncle is very privileged and fortunate and so when i would go to nigeria i wouldn't even experience things like that mm-hmm. so i can't compare because you know he travels with mopo and all of that yeah. so you know 
it's completely it was a completely different thing it is it is hey that that, that, that yeah don't trust me i understand <laughs> <laughs> so um you've been to um, nigeria you've been in south africa um and got to hang out family on, on both sides and yeah. um also in the states you get to build family be around family from um all the different parts of africa when it comes to food where's your loyalty oh nigerian food through and through wow, just gonna you break know, just gonna break zimbabwean hearts like that listen zimbabweans have good food and so the thing is funny because my mom was married to my dad for so long Whenever she cooks for her family, it's too spicy for them. They can't handle it. Because <laughs> West Africans, we like heat. Yep. Whereas, you know, the Southern Africans, they, they would, you know, they season their food, but they don't have the same heat yeah, that we it's, it's, Yeah, it's not as spicy as. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I have cousins that can't even handle jollof rice. And I'm like, are you joking? <laughs> this is for children. <laughs> <laughs> so I love mm. West African food. My, I'm going to go see one of my aunties today, and I plan on raiding her deep freezer and taking all of her soup. She made me banga soup last week. Mm. Nice. So good. <laughs> so, Nigerian food is my favorite, followed by Indian food. Then mm. after that, I'll say like Mediterranean, Persian food, that kind of Middle Eastern type food. Um, and then Mexican food, and then the le- fifth place will be tied between Japanese and Italian. <laughs> I think other than Japanese, the rest of the foods you called are literally they're, om- they're almost like West African foods. Yeah, no, yes. I mean, here's the thing about being part of the diaspora, the Black diaspora. If you are Afro-Latina, if you are African, if you are Afro-Caribbean, or even Indians who may not have the same, I guess, lineage, but they're about their heat and the spice, you know, all of our foods are very similar. Very. You know, we have Indians, African Indians too. So Yeah. Because there was someone who I was talking to, and I I, I didn't realize that uh, if, if you look at foods from like um, Eastern Africa, a whole lot of the Indian foods have you know intertwined with the local, with the indigenous foods there over the years. So a lot of the foods are actually by Indian names or Arabic names, and it's well you might think it's um, an indigenous food, but it's actually food from outside that came with those people. In there and well, that's like, why. I, so the first yeah. place I ever had shawarma was in Nigeria. Oh yes, um, we were coming from the club. Somebody ordered me shawarma, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is <laughs> it's <delicious."> different." <laughs> and so I come to America and I order shawarma at an Indian spot. Completely different thing. Completely different. <laughs> Trust me. When I was in Bahrain, I was like, "Yes, I'm finally in the Middle East. These are the people who got shawarma. It's their food." And I, I, I there's a place called Shawama Express. Yeah, that, that was a, I, I saw I saw the sign. I was like Shawama Express. I got dollars in my pocket. Nobody can talk to me now. Walking there, hook me up with your best Shawama. They bring. I was like, what is this? This is burrito. <laughs> 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 They're like, you want a Shawama bowl? I was like, uh, what's a Shawama bowl? Uh, I don't, I don't even know. Like, um, 
I was like, um, you know, when I was in Nigeria, they're like, they're looking at me like I'm speaking a different language. And I'm like, oh, but um, you know what? I, I don't know what Shawarma the people in Nigeria been eating all this time. <laughs> but the Arabs, yeah, don't know what. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering. I'm like, why are we eating in Nigeria and calling it Shawarma? It's, it's the Lebanese, I blame. Because the Lebanese who came to Nigeria, they, it's like they made the Shawarma different. There's a um, there's a, a guy of Lebanese heritage that I'm about to interview soon. I'm, I'm, I'm going to put it to him. Like, you're going to take this blame for the Lebanese. <laughs> you're going to stand trial. <laughs> what you guys do to your shawarma that makes it different from every other person's shawarma? Because, yeah, even even uh, um, in uh, Fairfax, I went to uh, a place and uh, um, with my brother and I asked about their shawarma there. I think they were, it's a Turkish place. And they brought a shawarma and he was like, there's no shawarma. I said, oh, here we go. <laughs> Every Nigerian is like, this is not shawarma. What you guys don't know what shawarma is. Are we just seasoning it differently? Uh, or? I, I think the seasoning, is that like they add yogurt or they add most, but it's like, it looks a lot more creamier. And it's, it's, I don't know. It's like, it's a lot more extra. Well, yeah, ours is saucy. I feel yeah. like when you get shawarma in an Indian restaurant in America, it's just like shaved meat, right? Yes, yes. Whereas our own... You order shawarma in Nigeria, it's got like kind of sauce and mm -hmm. it's spicy and it's yeah. kind of marinated. It's yeah. nice. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a whole different level. It's like if you're used to eating, only eating shawarma in Nigeria and you come outside, that that's going to be one huge culture shock for you. You're going to be like, <laughs> uh, nope, nope, this is not how to make shawarma. I'll come teach you. <laughs> I know someone, so I know someone who lives in Dubai right now. That's his complaint. Like, they don't know how to make shawarma here. I'm like, please, please don't tell them that. Please don't tell them in the whole country that they don't know how to make shawarma. It's not that I have news for you. Shawarma was not invented by Nigerians. Let me just let you know that. But he's like, What? I, I can't believe I'm I'm here and they made seven shawarma. I paid all that money and the shawarma don't look good. I'm like, Oh God, here we go. <laughs> Ah uh, yeah, don't, don't disappoint Nigerians with the food. It's like <laughs> hilarious. <sighs> so, um, what about music? When it comes to music, oh, Afro beats, love Afro beats. But you know, I'm a I'm an R and B girl. I love hip hop. I love R and B. I love Afro beats. I mean. I have a lot of eclectic taste. You know, my boyfriend, I'm in an interracial relationship, so he's introduced me to a lot of different music. So, you know, I, I listen to a lot of things. So that's another thing we have in common too, also interracial relationships. Um, let's say three or four artists that can keep you dancing for an hour. Ooh. Okay. I'm gonna say Davido. Oh, yep. I'm gonna say Beyonce. <laughs> I, I, I would have been shocked if that name had not come up. <laughs> I'm gonna say Dancing for an Hour. Maybe Missy Elliott. Mm. Uh, and. I don't know. It's hard, Rihanna. <laughs> That's not bad. It's not yeah. bad. That's good list. Well, have, have you ever messed with um, Zimbabwean music artists no, from there? Not really. I mean, the Zimbabwean culture wasn't a huge part of my life growing up because 
you know, my mom wasn't, she was kind of separated from her family. Oh yeah. And I don't know Shauna and I don't know Ija because my parents don't speak the same language. So it's not like they're speaking it to each other Yes. where I can learn it. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't have a huge connection to Zimbabwean culture. Like I do Nigerian culture because, and you know, and that's just kind of even the nature of Nigerian culture. Nigerian, we are very, you know, exuberant and extravagant people. And so it it pulls you in. Um, And I think that's kind of what happened to my mom. She just basically adopted. So when she cooked, she would cook Nigerian style when she, you know, we would go to Nigerian parties. We would go to, you know, West African churches. You know, it was very much, we were very much indoctrinated with that kind of culture versus the Zimbabwean culture. Uh, Cause she just mm. wasn't with her family. Yeah. And in Nigeria, we always have the numbers too. So mm-hmm. not, we, we put that numbers to use, but um, excuse me with uh, the advancement of technology and um, stream streaming, you know, uh, like I've been adding music from everywhere onto my playlist. So uh, somebody put me on to uh, Busiziwa. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's she, she, she's South African, and uh, she was on um, My Power, the My Power song yeah. with um, Beyonce. And whoa, that that lady, she can yeah, she she's she's on my on my list of um, my top four artists that can keep me dancing for an hour. Always changes you know maybe by the every quarter but right now she's on my top four yeah she's nice uh, but the first I, I probably have I, to look for Zimbabwean yeah the first time I went to South Africa I met Hugh Masakela that's one of Africa's greatest yeah. yeah so that was a huge honor we had dinner at his house nice. and my uncle didn't tell us where we were going he was like we're going to my friend's house to have dinner you know wow so <laughs> me and my cousin, we get there. We're like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> wow, what was that like? That was that was pretty amazing. He's a very nice man. Very, his house was beautiful. You know, he's very cultured. So, man, I thought, yeah, that, that's. Yeah, I, I, I probably would have found boy there. If I, I don't know. Yeah, I had to. I had to remember how to act. I was like. Yeah. <laughs> That was another ma- that was another reason I was so mad those robbers stole my phone because I had all these pictures ah, with Hugh Masakela. Ah. I'm like, I can't even put I didn't even get a chance to put these on social media. <laughs> ah, yeah. it. Yeah, we Oh man. I, I need to call my South Africa contact. Like, hey, put it out there. Like tell it like if somebody has a phone somewhere with some pictures, let let, let, them, let those pictures out. That's what we ask for. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That, that's amazing. Have you met any other um, celebrity in Nigeria or South Africa? No, I don't think so. Or if I have, I wasn't aware. <laughs> <laughs> they just sprung the surprise on you. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but Hugh Masakela, wow. That's, yeah, he's, yeah he's, he's among people who I would have loved to um, mm-hmm. meet, you know. At least have that one, one handshake with, like, yeah, it's. Those guys, their their music is just woo. It's up there. It's up there with all all the all the legends in the world, man. They're so great. So, um, stepping away from music, um, you are also a woman of science. You um, 
you you you're a woman who's followed her career and um has followed her passion in defining her career path how did you come about what you wanted to do and you know defining where, where you wanted to be Sure. So I am a public health advisor. For those who don't know, I work at the CDC and I didn't always know what I wanted to do. I think when you're growing up in an immigrant household, doctor, lawyer, engineer, those are yeah. the acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> the big, it's among the big five. <laughs> those are the acceptable professions you can choose from. Uh, maybe you can become an accountant. Maybe. Yeah, accountant um, is included. Uh, so. Yeah, when I was growing up, I always said I was going to be a lawyer. I knew I didn't want to do that. Then I said I was going to be a doctor. Fine. So I get to college. I didn't have any discipline. <laughs> and it was my first time away from home. My grades were terrible. And I had a student aide sit me down and say, so you are not going to be able to get into med school, <laughs> you know, behaving like this. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'll be a nurse. And so I was taking nursing courses. And I got all the way up to, I guess, the 300 courses. And I had a part-time job as a nurse's aide at a pediatrics office. And I was just like, I don't like any of this. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to do this kind of work. And so one of the doctors at the practice was like, you know, you're really kind of business-minded. You're really, um, you're really good with, systems and processes and programs. And so he put me in charge of two projects the office was doing. They were converting all of their medical records to electronic medical charts. And they were also running their flu clinic. And he was like, you'll be in charge of that. You don't have to see patients anymore. And so when I was doing that, I was like, okay, this is, you know, I, I still want to work in health. Yeah. You know, I'm still very kind of committed to that, um, especially because I've had my own health issues and it was the you know, the nurses and stuff that really kind of helped me through that experience. But, you know, I can't be a nurse. Like, I'm just not. <laughs> it's funny you call me a person of science because I do not think I am that person. I <laughs> Science is not my strong suit. It's, you know, it's hard. It was hard for me to grasp and learn and study. And so that's when I was like, oh, I will get into healthcare management. Um, and I went to get my master's degree in um, healthcare management an administration and I applied for a fellowship with the CDC um, and it was a public health fellowship um, for STD prevention. So I was a sexual health educator yeah. and I loved that. And so that's kind of what cemented my career in public health. And so after the fellowship, I moved to Atlanta and started working at um, the CDC headquarters. Um, and so most of my experience is in STD prevention, but right now I'm doing drug overdose prevention, mm. which is pretty interesting. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, well, when I say you're, you're a person of science, you, you still are. You still are because I don't think we, 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 it's only limited to the actual scientist, but I've seen you defending the science. on. Oh, yes. I definitely media. believe in science. And, yeah. I'm, uh, you know, yeah. In, in this age where it's so easy to say, well, you know, um, according to um, some 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 guy in the dark garage, this yeah. is facts. We don't need all this. These scientists are lying and all that. You know, someone tried no, that. I, I someone tried that with me early in the pandemic, Science. and I was like, um, "You have two options: either 
you stop sending me these videos or you go on 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 uh, you go into the cooler you choose one but it was like but the guy this guy makes sense i said if you're going to take advice from someone in a dark garage he couldn't even put lighting on his face like spend money and buy the lights let's see your face <laughs> in a dark garage and say this coronavirus is it's a it's a lie they just want you to they want you to be afraid and all that stuff i'm like oh here we go here we go please please yeah. don't send this to my inbox again do not do this just to, and he was like but you need to listen and i know i don't i have that option not to listen to a lie especially from someone dark why are you in the <laughs> darkness <laughs> like what even if you're not in the darkness i still wouldn't listen but yeah um, but um yeah i consider myself a person of science i don't think i ever passed oh okay in college i passed my science courses finally <laughs> but i struggled with science in high school and uh looking back now i think it was more of the teaching methods that made it uh, difficult for me and i never wanted to be a scientist i never wanted uh well i, I never thought i would be a doctor so that was i never liked officially working in a hospital i never liked the smell anytime i walked into a hospital but I think I could work in the hospital. I, right now, I can. You know, but at one point in time, I used to be that person who'd be like, ugh. And I used that as an excuse for not getting, uh, going for checkups and all that, you know. Plus, adding the toxic man culture was uh, a hardcore part of. And uh, But now I identify with being a person of science because I believe in, even if I don't know the full explanation, I don't know how to defend it properly, I can point you in the direction of the people who this is their job and this is what they have to do this is they know better and i believe in the facts so even when i was on um a friend's podcast and she was like oh, i don't know about these vaccines i don't want to take it because they've uh, given some people hiv in the past with vaccines i was like why would they want to come give you hiv right now what is the point of coming to inject and kill you when people do like you you you're talking about you want the economy open you want you, you want to do your business properly right yes okay yeah. so why would they come and say we're going to inject all of you with debt it doesn't make sense it doesn't add up let's just talk about that from that point well that's the view. problem with a lot of people who are anti-vaxxers and they yeah. use they predicate it on a racist history is that they don't even know their history because that's nobody has ever injected anybody with hiv exactly that's not a thing that's ever happened in this country um so you know that's they just they're just confused <laughs> they're just confused yeah so uh, i have to yeah, every every time i get a chance to talk about that i always talk about that but you you are a person of science and i always look up to to you and anytime you um talking about your, your job and um uh, so you you are now focus on um drug overdose mm-hmm um, after after um, working on STD um, pre previously, um, but you last time we, we we were together in person was in Minnesota, and it was the CDC that also took you over there. Yeah, so, so it was the CDC. That, that was when you were in the fellowship. Yes. Oh, okay, okay. So you are willing to go with the CDC over there and then move. So if someone like um, applies for the fellowship, it means they must be willing to travel. Yeah. Okay. All right. Just putting that out there for those who might be thinking of that, um, of taking that as a career path. Yeah. So, yeah, but I really love seeing you talk about your, your job and talk about um, what you do at the CDC. And I think the CDC is a better place uh, with having people like you over there. 
But that's not the only thing that you do. You also do something that has been extra inspiring, which is you embraced another creative part of yourself and uh, went into yoga. So how did that come about? So I've always been interested in yoga. Um, I just never thought I could be good at it or, you know, I, I, I guess being raised by, you know, hypercritical African parents, you think you have to be good at everything or, you know, things take on a certain level of uh, intensity when it's doesn't call and when it's not called for. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what I did with my approach with the yoga. You know, I got, I was very, I approached it like it was something to conquer instead of an experience or a practice to have. Mm -hmm. And so I had always been interested in it, but wasn't sure if I could be good at it, you know, air quotes. Um, But this past summer during all of the um, social justice uh, movements that were occurring, you know, there were a lot of people who were trying to figure out what can I do in this moment. And so there was a, a yoga practitioner and studio owner out of Austin, Texas, went to use her sphere of influence. And she said, you know, I'm going to offer scholarships to black people for black wellness and to do yoga teacher training. And so since yoga was always something I'd been interested at, I kind of took it as an opportunity to just see, right. I was like, well, if I get this scholarship, it'll be free and I can learn and it'll deepen my practice. And so I did it and I really enjoyed it. And it just, you know, really grounded me in a year that was kind of chaotic Mm -hmm. and hectic. And so it kind of, it really just became a part of my regular wellness practice um, and part of my mental health practice. And so I got certified as a yoga teacher and um, I teach uh, weekly here in Georgia and I I do the occasional workshop or, um, or online thing. So if you are listening and you want a um, yoga medit- or a meditation, or I, I offer a lot of different things, but if you want some sort of um, yoga, self-care, wellness type workshop, and you know I do them virtually, so you can um, hire me through that. Um, and yeah, it's been something I've really been enjoying and letting people who look like me and who share the various identities I share as a black woman, as, you know, a, 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 an African woman, as a, a woman, a plus size woman, as someone with varying physical abilities um, and let you know that this practice, like you can access this practice if that's something you're interested in. And um, so, yeah, I, I'm just really been into it. And then as a result, I started my small business, um, the Namaste Bay. And so I sell um, apparel and gifts and accessories for the yoga enthusiasts, yoga, self-care and wellness enthusiasts. And so if you visit my website, the Namaste Bay shop.com, you will see a ton of cute things. I think you'll be really into what you see. Um, and you're probably going to want to buy something for yourself. And I encourage you to do that. (laughs) But if you, I mean, if you can't, you know, I listen, I know it's hard times for everybody. And so I love people sharing my stuff. I love people following me on Instagram and Facebook. 
Um, there's lots of ways you can support if you can't purchase um, a class or a, a product from me, but I love all the support from everywhere in the world. <laughs> and your videos are fun. It's not just um, like just do a yoga stretch and you do this and that, and, but it's you, you, you make it fun to watch. And that's why even though I was like, oh, I'm going to do the stretch. And I, I just end up watching the video. I'm like, oh, it's so much fun. And I'm, oh, yeah, I forgot <laughs> to do the stretch. But I'm, yeah. So sometimes I get your niece to watch with me and she's like, oh, exercise, exercise. And I'm like, are you going to do it? And sometimes she's like, uh, uh, she's doing the poses. I'm like, okay, you do it. And then I, I will do the watching. And then, you know, and <laughs> so, but it, it's, you, you, everybody will have a good time watching the, the videos and, yeah, so please make sure you follow the Namaste Bay. It's 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 worth your time. It's worth your time. And, and, and they're not long videos, so uh, I think that's another thing that makes it extra beautiful and exciting. Awesome. Yeah, so I'm, I'm always proud of you. I'm always proud of you, cousin, because you, you, you inspire in so many ways, and it's just beautiful. You, you, know, you just see the way you shine your light. And do your Happy thing. to be of service. <laughs> so as we begin to wrap up, um, I can't thank you enough for sharing your time with me today and, you know, coming to coming on the platform. Um, what would you like to leave the audience with? One final thing, you know, um, I would like could... to leave the audience with that no matter where you're from or no matter what, where you are, um, that wellness is accessible to you. Mm. Um, I'm very much trying to share with people who share community with me that you can access self-care and wellness. And it doesn't have to be, I think a lot of times people think of self-care like, oh, I need to go pay for like a pedicure, pay for a massage and yeah. I don't have the money. I don't have the time, but it's that really me. setting yourself, your life up so that you are feeling taken care of. It's kind of like mothering and nurturing yourself. Um, and so I just want to encourage everyone again, no matter where you're from or where you are to please access some sort of, you know, care for your mental wellness, for your physical wellness, for your spiritual wellness. We are living in very harsh times and as marginalized people, it can really impact us in ways that we may not even know. And so it is, as Audre Lorde said, says self-care is an act of political warfare because when you are strong and when you are taken care of, you can go out there and you can change the world. So take care of yourself. That's true. It was until I started showing myself um, self-care and um, self-love that I started embracing my gifts and finding that confidence to be in front of the mic. So yeah that's an example and even doing volunteering in my community so uh, very proud of you yeah thank you and i'm proud of you too so I, I i agree with that all the time and i look forward to our eventual hanging out again in uh atlanta when next you come to new york you know you know but we, we long overdue so you can come come hang out with your niece and you know have a good time and maybe we'll do jollof or banga soup. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> so um, you've already uh, mentioned your shop, but um, uh, just for, for final um, sake, um, where can people find you officially? 
Yes. So on Instagram, Facebook, and on Clubhouse, I am at the Namaste Bay. So T H E N A M A S T E B A E. And if you are looking for my website, you can go to the Namaste Bay Shop.com. All righty. And I'll have all that in the show notes and make sure you all visit, get yourself something good. And hey, treat yourself right. Self care, yeah. self love. All righty. So, Umbana for coming on the show and Umbana to our listeners. And hey, keep the love coming in, sharing. And hey, we also got t shirts for the podcast. You know, uh, they'll be in the show notes. You can get them also. And yeah, hook yourself up. And thank you all for the privilege of your company. Thanks for listening to White Label American. If you enjoyed the show, we'll appreciate if you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. If you have any questions, comments, or have someone who will be a good guest on the show, or you want to be on the show, send us a message at whitelabelamerican at gmail.com. And make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at White Label American. Thank you for your support.